Hey friends, my name is Ashley and I am the pastor of Global and Local Outreach. For those of you that don't know me, I am so glad that you are tuning in with us today. I have the pleasure of kicking off a new mini-series on Psalm 23 where we'll be talking about the Good Shepherd. And this is a message that is pivotal for us at this time. The Good Shepherd has to offer us so much in this season. As we work through crisis or as we work through times of tension, we have the ability to lean on God. And so we're going to be asking ourselves the question, who is the Good Shepherd? How many of you are in need of a Good Shepherd? Feel free to raise your hand at home. I'll go ahead and raise both hands. I'm in need of a good shepherd this season. There is a story about a sheep named Shrek. Maybe you guys have heard of this. This is a little side note that I thought was cute, but also a little frightening because we can be like Shrek. Shrek was in New Zealand in 1994, and he actually uh, ran away. He evaded the shepherd, and he ran away, and they couldn't find him. They eventually thought Shrek was dead. He was missing for six years. And get this, when he turned back up, He was so fluffy and full of hair. You guys need to Google this. He was so fluffy and full of hair, so much that it was like 60 pounds of extra hair that could make 22 men's suits out of. That's what happened to to his fluff. So the moral of the story is don't wonder or you'll be walking around looking like a hot mess and we don't want that for you. So let's get back into it. You know, in times of crisis, whether you're young, old, male or female, whether you're rich or poor, we tend to want to evade situations or start to reaching for anything that might help us meet the demands of whatever the crisis we're facing is. And just in case you're wondering, crisis is defined as an emotionally significant event or radical change of status in a person's life or an unstable or crucial time or state of affairs in which a decisive change is impending. I think those two definitions sum up where we have been and what we've been going through over the course of the last two years, right? In crisis, as things shift all around us, we come to recognize that we don't have half as much control as we thought we had. We start to feel all the feels. And I know that over the last 22 months, particularly over the last month or so, as we as a church have continued to deal with the wounds caused by abuse, I have felt every emotion there is to feel. And I'm sure some of you have too. The world, our country, our state, our city, our churches, and our church has been in crisis over the last two years. Now, before I go on and you flip off the channel and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. I just want to tell you, this is not a message of doom and gloom. This is just the setup. You know, sometimes we have to go through the negative to get into the positive, and we don't necessarily like to do that. But it's in doing that that we're able to see God more clearly, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Psalm 23 has become near and dear to my heart over the last nine months as I've sought wisdom 
and comfort to be able to navigate this season that we're in. And in such a way that honors God and honors my friends and my family and you all. There have been many times where I've said to the Lord that I can't do this. God, I don't have what it takes in this season to be a functional friend, to be a functional um, daughter, to be a functional pastor. I just don't have what it takes. And I'm sure that some of you have felt the same way. Maybe you said to the Lord, I just don't know that I have what it takes to parent in this season, to be the wife he needs in this season, to be the husband she needs in this season, to get up and go to work and do the same thing again in this season as crisis swirls around us. But Psalm 23 is commonly known as the Psalm of Confidence. And it reassures us that because of Christ, we have everything we need. Because of the faithful presence and care of the Good Shepherd, we lack nothing. I want you to see yourselves over the course. I want to you guys to... Um, over the course of the next few weeks to really meditate and reflect on the Good Shepherd. I want us to really think about who is the Good Shepherd and who is he calling us to be in this season. And this morning, I want us to ask ourselves, I've asked myself, where is it that I've been placing my confidence over the last few weeks, few months, years, have we been placing our confidence in government? Have we been placing our confidence in our spouse, our significant other? Have we been placing our confidence in our finances, our jobs, our reputations, what church we go to? The only thing that we should be placing our confidence in is in Christ alone, because everything else will fail at some point. And in those moments, when humanity fails and our confidence in humanity and the world and these structures wane, I want us to remember that we lack nothing. And in Psalm 23, God reminds us that we have everything we need. Isaiah 40, 11 says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And there is no one who knew about a shepherd more so than David. David is known as the shepherd king, and he found himself in many, many, many crises or crises. Some he created by making really bad choices. If we read scripture, we can see some of those choices. And the others were just caused by people around him. Regardless of how the crisis came into being, David chose to navigate it by acknowledging his feelings and reminding himself of truth, the truth about the good shepherd. And for David, the imagery of a shepherd was forever etched in his brain and heart from a young age since he himself was a shepherd. If we look at 1 Samuel 16, 11, we can see that's where Jesus, that's where David and Jesus called David to be king was when he was tending the sheep in the field. David had a deep 
understanding of the role of shepherd. And for David, no one or nothing embodied a shepherd more than God. Psalm 23 is one of 150 poems that make up the Psalms, which is actually a collection of five books of prayer and praises that have been brought together as one book. The Psalms cover the ups and downs of life, touching on everything from financial problems to uh, loss of life to sin, all the things. And they were written so that the people of God could communicate with God during all of life's circumstances. So David in Psalm 23 is referring to God as the chief shepherd. He is describing his relationship to God in this way, which I think is so beautiful. What, what David had been to the sheep is how he's saying God is being to him. God is now his shepherd and the Lord is our shepherd as well. So let's read Psalm 23 one through three together and take it verse by verse. Paul and Bethany are going to cover the later part of the Psalm four through six next week. So here's Psalm 23, one through three. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. So let's start with the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, David here is acknowledging Jesus as Lord. And when we pray, we, when we pray Psalm 23, we do the same. I'm in the care of someone else. That's what we're saying. I'm giving control to you, Jesus. I'm not in charge anymore. I've taken my kingdom and I've surrendered it to the kingdom of God. Dallas Willard, who is an author and Christian philosopher, refers to this way of life as living the with God life. The Lord is my shepherd, and it's a life of complete and total surrender to his will and his way. Paul writes in Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Church, we have been bought with a price. That price was Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus becomes Lord of our lives, we can no longer say, my will be done, but we must say, your will be done, Father. We exchange the temporal for the eternal, the eternal life of the good shepherd when we put trust in him. And it's because we trust in him that we can move on and we can say we lack nothing, as followers of Jesus, we have the confidence that there is no scarcity in the kingdom of God. We don't have to live fearful of our finances. We don't have to live fearful of our health. We don't have to live fearful in any way because we know that there's no scarcity in the kingdom of God. That he, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, will meet all of our needs. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 31, 33, which is another familiar passage, to us. 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? And sheep never have to worry about this. Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We can be certain that God has God has and will give us everything to meet our needs, physical, spiritual, emotional. In Second Peter 1.3, Peter writes that um, God says that we have everything we need to live a godly life through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. The power of the Holy Spirit has indwelled us, so we have everything that we need to live a godly life. He makes me lie down into green pastures. It's because we can be confident in the Lord's provision that we can lay down in green pastures. You know, after sheep are full and fed, they get to rest. God has offered us rest, rest here on earth and eternal rest. What the green pastures symbolize is the safety and that rest. They can lie down knowing that God has their back and we can rest assured knowing that God has our back. The lyric in the song in Christ alone, I think sums this up really beautiful. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing, but it goes, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Nothing can ever pluck you or me or this church or God's people from the shepherd's hand. He has us in his pasture and we are protected and safe and reassured. He leads me, us, beside the still waters. A sheep that is being led beside still waters is a sheep that is not thirsty. Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them shall never thirst but the water that I shall give them will become in them a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. John four thirteen through 14. This is the wellspring of life that God has given us, that Jesus promises us through him. And this goes right into that last part of he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The broken depths of our soul are healed and reintegrated in the life union with God, the eternal kind of life. This is salvation I'm talking about here. The effect of restoration of our souls is that we walk in the path of righteousness of his, on his behalf as a natural expression of our renewed nature after coming to know a relationship with Jesus. As we walk the path, we trust in the shepherd and that trust runs deep so that we can then declare the good news of the shepherd and the confidence that comes from knowing him. It's in that confidence that enables us and enabled David to say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear 
no evil. And we'll get to that next week. As I said, Paul and Bethany are going to cover verses four through six. But that confidence in Jesus allowed David and will allow us to go through any tribulation or turbulent season because we know that there's hope at the end. And we know that in the trial, God is present with us, working it out in our favor and bringing forth new fruit. You know, sometimes trials, as hard as this is to hear, can be a blessing. They refine and they sharpen. And so that valley of the shadow of death is not the end. It can be the beginning. And here's the point. You know, if you're just now tuning in, if you um, maybe you were like, what in the world is she talking about? And you decided to turn off your TV and now you're coming back on. Here's the point. You didn't miss anything. It could have been summed up just in this paragraph alone. Because Jesus is our shepherd, we can have confidence that he will meet our spiritual needs by giving us assurance, rest, refreshing, and renewal, while also giving us direction on where to go and when to go. David in Psalm 23 paints an awesome picture of the nature of the good shepherd as protector, comforter, provider, giver, of salvation. So practically, you may be asking yourself, where can we experience these aspects of God? As we follow and seek to be present in his presence, we can look back at Psalm 23, 1 through 3, and see that we can experience the character of the good shepherd in three ways. And here they are. In stillness. You know, Pastor Nick spent time last week talking about the importance of being with God. If you have not added a Sabbath to your life or to your family's life, I would encourage you to do so. You must be with God. And sometimes being still can be uncomfortable. You know, we've gotten caught up in living a busy life so much so that we think we have to be busy all the time. And sometimes God is saying, you are fine just to be. I love you when you're just sitting with me. Resting and being with God is essential in seasons like this because we won't know where to go unless we're meeting with him and asking for direction and listening for his voice. The second one is in following. We do the hard work when we yield to God. That's what following means. We yield to God and we follow him wherever he leads. And Jesus extends an invitation to us to come and follow him, to come, watch, to learn, to experience him, not just for a week, a month, or a year, but for the rest of our lives, we have this invitation. The calling to be a disciple of Jesus is lifelong. It's only by continuously following the shepherd that we are equipped to go out and make disciples as the Great Commission has asked us to do. And then number three, in sharing the good news of Jesus. You know, because the Good Shepherd has restored and renewed us and given us eternal life, we should be on fire to share Jesus with other people. Um, this is convicting for me. 
You know, I don't always share Jesus. I get caught in my head. I have fears that stem up. Maybe they won't receive it. Maybe they won't like me if I say this. Maybe they have some type of wound or hurt, and that can be true. But we must share the good news of Jesus. Do you share your faith in Jesus with others? We are living in a world, in a city that so desperately needs hope. And we know who their true hope comes from. We have the only hope to offer. You know, the woman at the well, after she had this life-changing conversation with Jesus, and they talked about the quenching thirst and, and what that looked like, what did she do? The scripture says that she left her water and was so excited. She came there. She was thirsty. She left her water, was so excited that she went into town and she said, come meet this man who told me everything about my life. He might be the Messiah. And for me, that's convicting because I don't know how many people I have invited to come into a relationship with Jesus, to come to church to hear about Jesus. We have nothing to lose um, by talking about him. And everybody has everything to gain by that. You know, in a few weeks on December 5th, our friends, Wendy and Andrew Palau, are going to hold a, a workshop for us here at Cedar Mill after the second service on December 5th. And if you're interested, you're probably asking yourself, well, how do I share my faith? I mean, I don't know how to do that in a relational, safe way. They're going to be leading a workshop for us that helps us to share our faith with people who don't necessarily know Jesus. And we live in a city full of people who don't know Jesus. Christians are the minority here in Portland, Oregon. And so if you're interested in attending that workshop, please email outreach at cnbc.org and start signing up for that now. Here's the questions that I want you to reflect on this week, and I've, I've touched on them already. Are you practicing stillness? If not, ask yourself why and develop a plan. Start developing a plan over the course of this week. And maybe it takes longer than a week. Maybe it takes two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. However long it takes, it takes. But start developing a plan to practice stillness in your life. Are you following Jesus? You know, some of us know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Some of us don't. But for those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, maybe we haven't been walking in complete surrender to him. That doesn't mean that you aren't saved. It just means that there needs to be some intentional effort to let go of some things so that you can completely submit to the direction that Jesus wants you to go in. So ask yourself the question, are you following Jesus? Ask yourself the question, are you sharing the good news of the good shepherd with people who don't know him or with people that do know him, but specifically people who don't know him? Are you sharing the good news of the good shepherd? And if you're not, what's holding you back? Jesus is the good shepherd and the hope and the confidence that he provides is the only way that we can make it 
through every season. We're going to enter into a time of communion where we intentionally remember just how much Jesus has done for us. So take a second and grab your elements for communion if you don't have them with you already. We know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he was having supper with his disciples. This is commonly known as the Last Supper. And as they sat, sat at the table, Jesus gave thanks. He gave thanks for them. He gave thanks to God the Father. And so that's what we're going to do. I want you to take a few seconds or a moment to center yourself and give God thanks. And scripture says that when Jesus had gave, given thanks, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. So we're going to do that together. His body broken on the cross for our sins. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood that cleansed us from all our sins. Take and drink. And let us not forget that Jesus rose to give new life through the power of the Spirit so that we would no longer be bound to sin, shame, and death. Praise God. We don't have to be there anymore. If you're watching and you don't know Jesus and you would like to, please don't hesitate to email us or to reach out. We would love to talk to you about Jesus and answer any questions that you have or walk with you through the process of coming to know him. Before I sign off, I want to close our time with a prayer of thanks by Dallas Willard. And it goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so thankful to you that you have said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are thankful for the ease with which you walked upon this earth, the generosity and kindness you show to people, the devotion with which you cared for those who were out of the way and in trouble the extent to which you even loved your enemies and laid down your life for them. We are so thankful to believe that this is the life for us, a life without lack, a life of sufficiency. 
It's so clear in you the sufficiency of your Father and the fullness of life that was poured through you. And you were so thankful that you have promised that same love, that same life, that same joy, that same power for us. Lord, may we know your divine presence with us today. Get past our defenses, our worries, our concerns. Gently open our souls and speak your word into them. We believe you want to do it and we wait for you to do it now. It's in your name that we pray. Cedar Mill, we love you and we're so grateful for you.